Hey everybody, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Happy New Year to you. It's January 5th, so I still think I can say Happy New Year to you. It is a great episode that we're bringing you, or we are bringing you a great episode. I always like to write in the active. Uh, we were talked to Jonathan Norris. He's Managing Director at HSBC Innovation Bank. John is a fixture in MedTech. He's presented at uh, many conferences, including some that I've organized. And uh, he is always just a fountain of knowledge and, and data and insights on where sectors are heading. The report that came out is called the HSBC Venture Healthcare Report. It covers multiple sectors within healthcare, including pharma and healthcare tech and computation, computational biology, which I can't even say. But it has a very robust section dedicated exclusively to medtech. That's what we focus on today. Chris Newmark and I had the opportunity to talk with John about uh, the overall state of medtech as measured by investments, investors, and exits. And uh, there's a lot of information and insights that entrepreneurs can draw from what happened, not only in 2023, but John takes us back. And we look at the various numbers and uh, compare and contrast and draw some conclusions for 2024, some of which you might want to hear, some of which you might not want to hear, but it's all there for you to, uh, to digest. But I do recommend you go to the report the HSBC Venture Healthcare Report. Uh, John Norris has posted it on LinkedIn. I posted it on LinkedIn. We'll have a link to the report in the notes. And uh, if you want it, you can find it. And again, we're just, as I said at the uh, end of the interview, just skim the surface of what's in this report. So make sure you check it out. Before I let you go, we've had a, a great week here at Device Talks. We rolled out our newest podcast, the Ortho Innovation Talks podcast brought to you by Acuity MD, and it features the fine folks at Zimmer Biomed. I got to speak with Rachel Ellingson. She is the Senior Vice President or a Senior Vice President and Chief Strategy Officer at Zimmer Biomed. You should have received that through the Device Talks Podcast Network, which you uh, perhaps subscribe to if you've listened, if you're listening to this podcast. If you wanted to find that podcast and you're not a subscriber, well, just subscribe. It's much easier. But you can go to devicetalks.com and find all of our podcasts there as well. But uh, we'll be rolling out some more uh, episodes of the Ortho Innovation Talks podcast featuring leaders from Zimmer Biomet in coming months. So uh, very happy to bring you that sort of next iteration of our podcast strategy where we're, uh, we'll still be doing company-focused podcasts, but now we're going to be developing podcasts that are assigned to uh, sectors or specialties and uh, just really gives us a lot more freedom to work with, uh, with MedTech leaders and to bring you the stories that you really need to hear. So excited to, to bring you that podcast. I hope you find it. it and if you've already found it, I hope you enjoyed it. Excellent. Uh, last thing, Device Talks of Boston. The registration opens up on January 17th. We're still developing uh, our agenda. I've got it all mapped out, but we'll have it up on the website soon. We've got some great speakers coming. It's going to be a great couple of days, some really cool surprises, I hope. So keep an eye out for information about that. And uh, Device Talks Tuesdays, they will resume in February, but we already have some up on the website for registration. 
go to devicetalks.com. You'll find information about our in-person conferences, our digital meetings, and of course, our podcasts all there. Finally, uh, I'll be at JP Morgan uh, on Monday and Tuesday. So if you're listening to this on the way to San Francisco uh, and you want to reach out, just probably the best thing is just to, to uh, ping me on LinkedIn and uh, hopefully we can uh, shake hands and say hello. I'd love to hear your stories. I'd love to hear what you think of Device Talks. Uh, if you see me at one of the many, uh, many receptions, please uh, stop me and say hello. It's it's always a treat to uh, meet new folks in the med tech sector and, again, to figure out how Device Talks fits into uh, your work and how it might help you in the future or help you right now. So, uh, all right. Well, again, this is a, a, a great conversation with John. We talked for about 45 minutes, uh, covered a lot of uh, interesting points within the report and I know you will find it entertaining, I hope, and definitely, definitely, definitely informational. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Woo-hoo! All right, Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Good to be here, Tom. Good to be here. Happy. I guess, can we say Happy New Year at this I, point? I, I opened up the podcast saying, yes, this is the last week we can say, today's the last day we can say Happy New Year, January okay. 5th. Yeah. We aren't so, doing the Larry David rule, like no no January 3rd rule here. I, I, I'm not going to follow Larry David on, on many yeah. things now. Yeah, he's, he's he looks yeah. at life differently than I do, although it's a yeah. very funny show. A very funny I heard show. He, I heard he thought cryptocurrency was cool, like <laughs> something like that, you know, like I don't know. Anyway, we uh, happy New Year to you. And happy to New Year to you, man. Device Talks listeners, and we're very excited to have John Norris. He's a managing director at HSBC Innovation Bank with us in the booth. John, how are you? I'm doing really well, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. It's always oh. it's good to see you, Tom. Our pleasure. It's always a a, a, a joy to get that 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 <laughs> annual report dropped on our doorstep the first of the year. Oh. To, what about uh, me, John? What about and me, Chris? Yeah. It's great Thank to see you, you too. Good I'm, to I'm you. sorry. Yes, Happy New Year. Um, <laughs> like, wait a second. You know, oh, I had like... trouble. I had trouble like watching Larry David for too long. It just it it makes me uncomfortable. It, yeah, it just does. Yeah. You know, yeah. but maybe that's that's the point of the show, I, yeah. which is great. But yeah, I, I can't I can't binge that. Like, if I'm doing the dishes or I got like a half hour activity, I'll have it on. But like. I couldn't see myself sitting on a sofa and watching it for an entire weekend because I, I wouldn't be able to go to work on Monday. I think I just would be curled in a ball. He, he gets <laughs> he gets me angry, you know, and, and and that's the intent of the show, which is great. But it's just it's funny. It's funny. I want anyway, to see that. It's, it's small. Yeah. It's small doses. It's a small doses type of thing. I don't know if I want to exactly. see angry, angry John Norris. <laughs> uh, kind of... No, you don't want to see that. Dog. Don't want to see me angry. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, we're, we're we're not going to be angry. We're going to talk about yeah, yeah, your, your right. annual report. Uh, but first, I, I mean, last time that I think we had you on the podcast, you were with a different organization. Now you're with HSBC. I don't think we need to go into the whole SVB saga, but just. Tell us a bit about what you're doing at HSBC and about the Innovation Bank and and sort of what you're offering there. Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, it, it's an exciting opportunity. It, you know, it, it's great to turn the calendar into 2024. There's a lot of challenges in 2023 for, for lots of folks, uh, but we're excited to be here. Basically, we've created this Innovation Banking Division within HSBC 
to focus on, you know, early stage and growth companies in sort of the, the innovation ecosystem. So it's doing things very similar to what I did in the last organization, but we have the power and breadth of, you know, the eighth biggest bank in the world, you know, behind us. Mm-hmm. And and so it's a it's been a it's been a fantastic sort of assimilation. And we've we've really moved really fast to get up and running. And so yeah, we have what we need to really service the early stage, you know, venture ecosystem. And we're excited. So we have commercial banking, we have venture debt, and we have, you know, similar to what I've done in the past is a lot of advice for companies that are trying to understand what's going on in the market. And if you add all those together with also obviously the breadth of international that HSBC offers, it's a really, it's a really great story. So I'll, I'll stop there, yeah. but yeah, I'm really excited to be where where I am and doing what we're doing. It's, it's great just, to hear that. And just, and just, Briefly, I don't think I've ever had this conversation with you. How did you come to become this oracle of the medtech industry where, you know, you get up on stage and you deliver all this information and people are coming to you looking for information, coming for for advice? How did you get to, how did you find your way into medtech? And I know you do health more broadly, but this is a medtech podcast. So how'd you find your way? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting story, actually a pretty timely one because really what, instituted what I do now is related to, you know, going back to tw- 2007, 8, 9, uh, the, the last really big downturn. And when I was, you know, understanding my my job, which is really interacting with the venture investors and building relationships and, and, and finding ways to work together, you know, I was challenged during that time to like, well, which firms are going to survive? and which which partners are going to survive and you know there wasn't a lot of data out in the market at the time and mm. the data that was out there was hey you know there were uh 250 MA in healthcare and the average deal size was 100 million like i don't even know i, I don't even know what to do with that mm-hmm. and so the idea was how can we create something that's really venture focused and so originally i started just looking at exits to understand partner attribution like which which firms and which partners are going to survive during this really tough time? And the thesis was wow. more recent exits equal you know distributions coming in that they mm-hmm. keep their LPs happy and the folks who are actually involved in those deals have a much bigger chance of surviving. So you know that was kind of where I started. But then people came to me when I started showing them that data and like the industry doesn't have anything that really is specific for the venture healthcare industry and what can you do with that? So. That's what started me getting involved with that. And I think the device sector is is super interesting because, you know, you know I, I think there's a lot of differences between device and biopharma, for example, mm-hmm. in terms of stage and where the exit opportunities are, et cetera. So each of these individual sectors within healthcare are really unique. But I love talking about uh, med tech because one, you know, I've just I have so many friends within the industry. I've been I've been doing this for a long time. And people stay in the med tech industry. It's not as, uh, you know, I think health tech, you have a lot of folks that are coming in and out of the market mm-hmm. on the med tech side. It's, a, you know, that stability, which equals friendships too, that are long lasting. So I love, I love the industry. Yeah. And so for me, it's, it's, it's about empowering investors, but also companies with information that allows them to make smarter decisions. Because if you have that information in front of you, at least you, you can synthesize that as you decide, like, your financing plan, your exit plan, and where you want to be. And you know, more information is better than no information. And so 
uh, that's kind of been the the ideal in terms of how I think about things. But it's been it's been a fun ride. I love doing it. It's a lot of work, but I think people really appreciate it. And again, mm-hmm. it gives them more perspective to enable them to make good decisions. Excellent. No, people definitely it's do. Fantastic. Definitely do uh, do respect it, and they look forward to your your presentation. So let's get into the the report itself. We're going to break this. So we'll have a link to the report on the show notes and we'll put it out on LinkedIn as well. So folks can download and look at the numbers themselves. There's a lot of information there. We're definitely going to try to focus on three different areas because this is a podcast. We want to make sure we keep it moving forward. We'll focus on investments and then we'll talk about, and Chris will take that part. We'll look at investors after that, see who's investing. And then we'll talk about, uh, talk about exits, which is, are always important. Uh, but to kind of just kick things off. So uh, the that's your, the report predicts that there's more pain than promise coming in 2024, which is uh, an ominous phrasing. And uh, you, you mentioned that many mid-stage companies are operating on diminishing cash from insiders and that financing needs, and I like the way this was phrased, will come to fruition in mid-2024, meaning that companies will continue spending money and possibly not raising money, which can lead to down rounds, consolidation, and shutdown. So how are you feeling about 2024 broadly? And then we'll get into those individual categories next. Yeah, it's it's a really um, interesting time for, for as you sort of think about where we're going to go in 2024. It's really, yeah, to really boil it down, it's the haves and the have-nots. Um, and we'll talk about the haves maybe in a little bit, but that, you know, the what we're seeing is so many insider rounds. And, and the question is, why are there insider rounds happening right now? And the and the answer is, it's not because these companies necessarily did anything wrong. It's just that new investors can be pickier. And new investors are one, dealing with their own portfolio of companies and trying to make sure that they're funded correctly. And with new investments, one, LPs are saying, slow down your role. I think one thing that we saw over the last few years is that investors were raising funds very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, they they would deploy their funds, raise new funds. LPs are like, slow your roll. Let's 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 be more uh, focused on on having you know a three to four year time frame between fundraising, and so that just means less activity, and so the pace of activity has dropped. But you know, for the companies that are on these inside rounds what the new investors are looking for is just more progress, more mm-hmm. progress than what you maybe needed to get funded in 2021. It's a different world now. And so, yeah, I think that's that's really the question. You know, Are the inside rounds that are happening right now enabling these companies to hit some sort of value inflection point that allows them to raise a new investor-led round? Now, that new investor-led round could be a valuation reset. It could be a step up. I think we're seeing both. But you know, to your point, Tom, the rubber's going to hit the road in 2024 mm-hmm. because you know you're not raising, uh, you know, 24 months of cash in these inside rounds. It's let's say six to 15 mm-hmm. months, you know, depending. And so that rubber means, you know, are you going to find a new investor? If the answer is no, the likelihood of insider rounds continuing to happen with your syndicate is problematic. Okay. Because it's very hard to continue to support a company that can't find an outside route. And you know, so, I know on on, yeah. on Matt's device. I mean, we had a you know, we we had a few stories this year of of companies that that at least on the surface appeared like, oh, these are these are cool companies. But you know, the they they, they then surprised us and closed. I mean, it yeah. kind of sounds like we're gonna have more of those types of stories like later in the next year. 
Yeah, I mean, I I'd love to say there's going to be like a lot of consolidation where companies come together and they they're able to to find a way of moving forward by combining technologies. It's just so hard in the private market. Yeah. You know, nobody wants to be the winner or loser in those deals. You have a lot of investors that are involved and it's just, it's hard. So I think it ends up being, if you can't find that new investor, you maybe you, you drip feed to some sort of smaller M&A that's probably not super attractive or on the other side, you know, you, you end up not being able to move forward. And, and, it, and it's, and it's really, it's, it's tough because this is the lifeblood of a lot of folks who put a lot of hard work into it, but it's also a part of the timing of the current financing environment where we have less capital available and that capital is being deployed slower. Okay. All right. Well, Chris, let's, let's uh, break down the, uh, the investments uh, in 2023 and how they compared to years past. What- yeah. I mean, like just, you know, reading the report, I could see like, uh, you know, last year you, you counted like $7 billion dollars. In investments last year in the you know medical device sector, 474 deals. But I mean that's seven billion. I mean it looked like that was, I mean that was down 19 percent from 2022, down 25 percent from 2021. But then on the flip side, it looks like it was up. It's still up from you know 2020, which of course was really tough year. I mean, uh, but also up 16 percent from 2019. So I mean, how how do we make sense of all that? Yeah, I think one thing, Chris, is to sort of think about it in context with the other healthcare sectors. So, yes, we're down. Um, I think we're kind of on pace for the second half of 2022, which is really when, in my mind, you know, the rubber sort of hit the road from, you know, acknowledging that we were in a downturn. But the decline in device is a lot less than what we're seeing in any other sector. So the idea that we've all said, you know, devices steady at, I always say that, and it's and it continues to be true, is you see less decline overall as a percentage basis than you have in the other sectors. So that's good. That, that feels it feels like there's stability there, and and I think that that's good. I don't know, less decline. I guess that sounds good, but <laughs> less decline. We've declined less. <laughs> we've declined less. <laughs> I mean, why? I, 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 I mean, why? Why is that? I mean, I, I have some theories in my own head here, but, but why do you think that is? is it, I mean, is it just pe- people I, are I sick think, and we got stuff to fix them, basically? Or? You know, I think one thing is, uh, especially when you're comparing it to, to biotech, uh, biotech can get to exits way earlier than medtech can in terms of, of where you are in that product development cycle. You see lots of preclinical, which means they haven't even tested in, in humans yet. A lot of those companies get to exit, a lot of those companies IPO. A device has a smaller set of acquirers. And because of that, those folks typically push these companies to be a, a lot more closer to being accretive or right on the heels of an approval uh, before you know there's, there's M&A talk going on. And and because of that, you end up having, and the regular, regulatory overhang you throw in as well, but that, that happens in all the health tech, health tech sectors or healthcare sectors. It's just, it's, it's a harder job to get these companies over to exit. So you see less tourist investors coming in. And so in 2021, you saw lots of folks jumping into health tech specifically. You saw a lot of folks jumping into to biopharma and even DX tools, especially on the test side, on the heels mm-hmm. of, of COVID and the excitement around, you know, being able to, to find ways to predict these, you know, 
to, to predict um, whether you have a disease or not. Um, everyone got very excited about it, including folks that are not necessarily specialists. In device, you do not see a lot of non-specialist play. And that reflected in the overall dollar amount and the fact that it's more steady eddy. It's really interesting. I mean, it 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 sounds like you just need those specialists because they're the ones who understand that, you know, the, these long timelines that we just we just see in our industry. The fact the fact that I mean, it's funny when we do rounds up roundups of startups that I mean, they're companies that are like six or seven years old. We're still like, you know, we we should throw those in there. You know, like I don't know of any other industry where you say a seven year old company is is a startup. Yeah, and and on that set, uh, uh, to that point, Chris, in terms of. You know, having people who understand the industry being involved, both when things are going really well a couple of years ago and now, you have that stability of, you know, folks, one, stable source of capital, two, understand the industry and the bumps that are happening there. I think yeah. that's where you're not going to see the, 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 the type of challenges the firms that are in the health tech side are going to ha- experience, where you have these investors that just completely exit the arena um, mm-hmm. and 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 are are not going to be as willing to support companies through thick and thin. Whereas on the device side, again, you have folks who understand the industry and that's so important. Our clinical pathways have become a little more secure too as, as opposed to a decade ago. It just, the FDA, the relations with the yeah. FDA is so much clearer. I think it's just a safer bet than uh, some digital therapeutic or something where you're still trying to feel your way through that process. I think that's fair. You know, with all the that seven billion of deals, I mean, what what's hot right now? What's what's getting people's attention? You know what? When I look at it on, especially on the early stage side, you know, you continue to see neuro, uh, which is you know a lot of neurostem technologies, some interesting, really interesting brain computer interface technologies, and then imaging, which is you know a piece of equipment, but you also have a lot of SaaS based uh, parts to it as well, and algorithms that are leveraging the imaging that just make the you know procedures either clearer or easier to, to accomplish, et cetera. Seeing a lot of that activity, and but you're seeing not as much activity in non-invasive monitoring, which got super hot a couple of years ago, not seeing as yeah. much in that as, as we saw in the past. And then cardiovascular, which you know tends to be sort of PMA focused, more right. clinical trial focused. You're not seeing early stage. You're seeing the folks who have made those bets uh, a few years ago, you're still seeing later stage investment in that arena, but not on the early stage side. And I think there's just that fear um, of Series B, it, frankly, on, on the PMA side, because in PMA deals, you have to go through your initial clinical before you get to your pivotal, right? And so if you're through your initial clinical and you need to raise your Series B, the question is, what's the inflection value inflection point there? And if you can't find yeah. an investor willing to step up, you know, it makes it really hard. And so the people that are doing Series A in cardiovascular right now know they have to be in that for the long run. And I think it's just a smaller subset than we've seen in the past. In some ways, that sounds a bit bit tough. I mean, I mean, recently, I mean, we've had some some positive news in the cardio space. I mean, we had like these renal denervation approvals we've been waiting forever for, and you know, pulse field ablation systems are you know are getting approved as well. Um, but are we just going to have to wait for a while then to 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 see like another round of you know innovation in the space? Or? You know, I think I think there's still innovation happening, and I and I think yeah the the other the other point I would I would say on that is that 
you know, the folks that understand the sectors on the early stage side are still active. They're just active in 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 a in you know the pace is down. You know they're still doing deals, but instead of doing four, five, six deals, they're doing two deals. Um, yeah. And so the activity is still there. But I just I, I do think when you're in down uh, financing uh, scenarios, you tend to get your 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 focus diverted. Your existing invest portfolio companies are one thing, but then two, you know, you have the opportunity to jump into Series B and Series C companies that have valuations that are really compelling. And maybe these are deals where you, as a Series A company or firm, looked at it, but you didn't either win the deal or you didn't see enough progress to want to play. And now they're coming back at you know similar or maybe even down values. So you got to look at that. So I think that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons also why we're not seeing super early stage uh, deals right now uh, in terms of cardiovascular and other, is that there are other more companies that have progressed a little bit more that still have valuations that are interesting. And so the early stage investors are are absolutely swimming upstream to look at these later stage deals, especially you know where they like the underlying technology. I want to talk about some of the investors in a moment, but I'm just curious, do you... We have these conversations about dollars going in and dollars being invested and money being raised and exits and stuff. And the dollars are essentially feels like the blood that's pumping through the veins of, of med tech. But do you, do you see it that way, like delving so deeply into the dollars? Is the sector's health tied so closely to dollars that that's how we value where things are in terms of innovation and startups? Or do you sort of see a separation between, yeah, the dollars are down, but things are really Great. Do you, do you see do you see things differently looking at these numbers so often and so closely? You know, I I don't focus specifically as much on the dollars that are de- being deployed on a yearly basis. They're important, but mm-hmm. I think the lifeblood, as you say, is related to the the major players in the industry and their ability to raise venture funding. Yeah, mm-hmm. they need to fundraise themselves. The venture mm-hmm. folks, if they have. Um, you know, new funds that are being raised in a timely way, then I think the lifeblood is there. Interesting. And, and the pace will will come up and down based on, you know, up cycles or down cycles. So I think the good news is you saw a lot of the major firms in the in the arena that have been able to fundraise over the last two years. So they all have their their new funds ready to deploy. But I also think you know, the idea that you're going to raise a fund every two years is now, you know, that's what we were seeing a lot in 2021. Mm-hmm. I think three to four years is more, it is 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 probably going to be more the norm. And because of that, you're just going to overall see less investment um, in terms of the pace and the dollars. So, so seeing that go up and down is not as important as knowing who the major players are in the industry, having enough capital to fund you know, an emerging group of companies that are going to be well, well positioned to either go public or consider an M&A. And I think from that perspective, even in a tough year like 2023, we're still seeing funds that are able to fundraise. That's and a, so that's know. the most important thing. I recall saying in your report that you were, you were saying something about the the big companies, you know, like kind of stepping in and, you know, and, and putting some more focus on on these on these younger companies i mean do i recall that correctly yeah um although the unfortunate part is that it's really hard to see it in the data 
And a lot of times they'll do deals that don't show up on the underlying data sources that I rely on, on, on helping to put the report together. But that's really where the anecdotal conversations I have with investors help me understand you know, where things are seen. And so it does feel like corporates are involved. They're getting in early. And I think, you know, the build That's to good. buy is is absolutely, you know, something that we typically see during down cycles is you want to get these folks on the corporate side to be investors to help you position something that they need. Because in the end, if they don't need it, it's hard to convince them to buy it. Um, and so if you get them in early and you can collaborate with them, you're you're in a really good, you're in really good shape. So we are seeing more of that again. Hard to see uh, in the data per se, but I will say just overall, a lot more corporate investment than we saw in the previous year. It just tends to be ones and twos from these corporate investors and not like three, four, five that you would see mm-hmm. really stand out as as like a big investor in the industry. I mean, overall, what kind of advice would you give to one of our listeners who's, you know, like, you know, starting out and saying like, you know, actually, I want to, I want to pivot. I want to go that route. I mean, what do they need to do to make sure they put their best foot forward, you know, to you know, try to, you know, get one of those partnerships? You know, I think engaging with, with corporate when you feel like it's appropriate, I think in down cycles, it's probably better to engage earlier than later. In, in up cycles, it's easier to maybe run under the radar when you do have more freer capital that can help you maybe develop something that you think might be very competitive with amongst a number of strategics and you don't want to necessarily know what you're doing. Uh, but I think in down cycles, it's almost better to engage earlier. And I think a lot of times to do that is, is to go to the different conferences that are out there because that's where you're going to get your biggest bang for the buck. Um, cold emails are really hard. But when you're going to the conferences, you have the chance to bump into folks, meet them, tell your story, and then follow up, right? Um, so I think, yeah, that's that's probably one of the biggest sources of advice, is, which is which is great to see, at least in the industry, because we do have some really great conferences. I know you guys are involved in some, obviously, as well. You know, these conferences are great places to engage on the corporate side, at least start the discussion. Shameless plug, Device Hogs Boston will be in May. <laughs> I was going to say, to paraphrase John saying that everyone should register for Device Hogs Boston, which was happening. If I may sum up John Norris's point. That was yeah. not a planted question. <laughs> Thank you, John. Great having you on the program. No. no, let's just talk about the investors for a second. I feel like uh, well, I am a 50-year-old, 50-something-year-old dad looking like at, 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 at like the, the, the top 40 list, like, I don't know a lot of the names on those lists. I don't cover venture investors like I did 10 years ago. So maybe I will would have if I did as closely as them. But are we seeing a new you you talked about the ability to raise monies. I liked your point about, you know, you're not tracking really the the irrigation on the fields but rather the water supply, which makes a lot of sense. How, how do you view these 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 larger investors? And I don't want to name them um because I don't want to suggest that they I shouldn't know maybe I should know who they are, but are are these is this class of investors are they the same are they the the med tech shops that we used to see that you know really are uh, staffed by 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 leaders in the sector are they newer players coming in from other geographies that are that are really coming in and maybe just investing aggressively now to get a foothold how do you classify this class of investors right now i you know i would classify it by saying it's just extremely stratified okay. which doesn't really help yeah. um but it helps to say it i guess and i think what you're seeing is you know like the European Innovation Council as being the biggest early stage investor. 
And they're just putting dollars to work in companies that are raising $2 million or bigger. And mm -hmm. so they hit the list. Um, but I think you're seeing a lot of regional players that are putting dollars out there that wouldn't hit the list during an up cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, because what you're seeing is some of the more uh, um, incumbent investors that have done a lot of early stage investing, they, again, are looking a little bit later stage right now because there's some bargains to be had for great companies. And so I think that's been reflected at least in the first financing, which I look at as sort of early stage. When you look overall and you see folks like Shang Bay, which is, you know, again, a, a firm that's done a lot of early stage investing, um, they're very active and Vinsana's on the list and they've been, you know, active for a number of years and great folks. And all the folks that are on this list are, are really good folks. But those are the two, when you look at the top investors that you say, okay, I recognize those names. A lot of the other names are, are folks, again, they've done three deals this for the entire year and they're on the list for most active investors. That just tells you, again, the stratification. Um, I think the one worry that I have for the industry on the investor side is making sure that the growth investors are still there and wanting mm. to deploy capital. And when you see the the you know a little bit of retraction of the of the growth investors uh, in doing late stage deals, it's a little bit concerning. But what I've what I've seen is that instead folks are sort of on the venture side are filling the gaps. And so a lot of the Series B and C and D deals are being led by traditional venture folks. Again, that see the opportunity for deals that they missed the last time around and and, and see it at, at pretty decent valuations uh, versus at least what they saw in 2021, maybe the last time these companies were around. Interesting. So let's look at the the, the deals that are being done, the valuations of them, because people always want to know about this. I was kind of surprised or, and maybe slightly heartened that I thought there I thought there'd be more down rounds than they were, and if I'm if I'm misconstruing this information, let me know. But so I'm seeing you had 11 seed deals, only one of them was a down round, uh, and these were of the 40% of a uh, new investor led disclosed valuation. So these are deals that had new investors, and they disclosed their valuation, so that the the sample size shrinks. Right. But the the A to B, uh, eight of the 26 were down rounds. You know, not great, not bad. B to C. Five of the 17 were down rounds, so a little under about 30% or so. And then C, seven of the 20 were down rounds, which, again, I feel bad for the seven, but I would have guessed 10 out of 20. I would have guessed 15 out of 20, uh, especially at that later stage. H how do you look at those numbers? Uh, were you surprised, happy, not surprised at all? What was your takeaway? I, I was actually pretty happy uh, to yeah. see these deals. I think one thing is, again, 60% of the deals that were done this year were not counted for this because mm -hmm. it was insider led or add-on rounds. Yeah, of of the, you know, of the new deals that were that were done, 40% of them had enough valuation information to calculate, right? You know, some of the times they're they don't disclose valuations through the data sources that I get. So I can only do so many. Um, but to see you know, of of the deals, it doesn't surprise me that we see a lot of step ups because in the end, these companies are performing. And to see there are at least 50 deals, you know, there's there's I'm sure a lot more that don't have valuation information, so I can't make the calculations, but 50 deals that achieve step ups in valuation. That shows, I mean, I think it's easy to focus on all the negativity out there and the mm -hmm. fact that we're in a tough market, but 50 deals in med device found a new investor that came in that valued the company higher than what the post was of the last round. And that's really encouraging. But that being said, a lot of these last rounds were done in 2021, where there was a wide open IPO market, mm. and we're seeing a lot of device companies going out, even early stage. 
So mm-hmm. the fact that there has to be some valuation resets, that's a that's certainly a part of you know the the process that was 2023. And we're gonna see even more in 2024. So I almost, I mean, you kind of see it as healthy. And I think the one thing that you, you think about from the investor side, I know it's not easy for the companies when you have these down rounds, but on the investor side, you know, they have 10 year plus funds, right? And to I to to think that all those 10 years are going to be up round is, mm. you know, not being not being, you know, realistic. And so they know they have to invest through the down cycles. And so for them, it's do I like the company? Are they performing? Do I need to suffer a down round? Because in the end, this company is going to be a valuable company. Yes. And so you're seeing that. So it's it's actually, you know, it's an encouraging sign to see, you know, of the later stage series B and later of the deals that we have that have valuation info, one and three or so were a down round. That's okay. That's okay. And so it is showing one, a new investor's coming in, mm-hmm. which is super important because that's additional dry powder for these companies down the road. And then two, you're seeing the existing investors coming in. Like it's okay to get revalued. You know, it happens. You've seen some of the biggest success stories in device. That company, a lot of those companies have had a down round. You mm-hmm. know, during their their life cycle. And so I just see it as as a part of the process and a healthy part. I would just like to see a higher percentage of companies find a new investor round in 2024. Um, and and if it if it has to be at a at a at a valuation that is not as exciting as what they were hoping for, you know, so be it, but get that new investor in. What what happened in 2021 and 2022? I think we all look back to that being the the COVID lockdown era and we thought things were slowing down, but fundraising I think was, that's the basic summary of those years, like what well, happened. Fundraising was 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 <laughs> nuts. Was it all IPO driven or did were VCs just so so anxious to get out of the house or get on Zoom calls to get away from their families or they ran out of things to watch on Netflix and they had to put money to work just to have something. What happened in those years? Was it was it IPO driven or was, were there some sort of unnatural forces or unfamiliar forces that led to the boom in, in private financing? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it's a little, I mean, my answer is going to be a little bit more health care focused versus sure. device focused. Okay. But I think, you know, what we saw was, one, you know, the generalist investors that had this issue that was happening with COVID, which means almost all the other sectors were uh, suspect, especially consumer and things about that, where people were staying home, et cetera. Like, where was the opportunity? Well, obviously, you had this COVID-19 and you needed to solve, right? And so I think healthcare became a really interesting area for the general list on the public side to get interested in. And that just flowed into the private market. And uh, yeah, the rising tide lifting all boats, so to speak. And so in each of these sectors, there were folks focused within you know COVID-19 as well as ancillary things. And people got really excited because that was one area that at least they knew that there was a compelling need. And so that opened up the IPO floodgates. And you know, you know, in the beginning, when you're in like you know, March of 2020, you're like, well, yeah, what's going to happen here? And then we didn't see this huge decline that everyone predicted. And in fact, it was the opposite. And people got excited. And that support just created this really frothy time. And so and that lifted that lifted all the all the all the different healthcare sectors, including device. And so I think that's really where and when you you got companies going public and they were getting pops right off the bat and you saw some device companies that did really, really, really well and are holding on to value, too, right now. 
but you know, and you're like, okay, how do I value my private company when you're seeing all these companies go public and getting those trading pops and all of a sudden valued at billion dollars more, it affects your private valuations as well. And so now that you now you're in a situation where you know that you you know if you look at the public market, those valuations have certainly changed. Um, and so now you have to sort of come back and and revalue. But you know you don't you don't blame folks for trying to look at comps that are happening in the market and try and value a company properly. And it's just you know you just try and hope that that timing is yeah you know, is right. And we saw a really nice upcycle for a long time. Right. Well, we'll it sounds it. like we have a. It's it's almost like we've got a, a like a hangover now going on in that that space. Then, like from those those COVID times. And yeah, I think that's a a, a perfect way of of describing it. And yeah, but yeah, the hangover is very real, and that that's going to lead to companies you know not being able to move forward. And and it, yeah. and it, and it feels terrible to have to say that, but you know that it you know, when you have a lot of frothiness in the market that ends up being a lot of companies that got funded that might not have gotten funded during, you know, uh, down cycle times. And so when you're in down cycles, you know, some of those companies just aren't going to make it. And so sometimes 24 it, is going to be our dry January and then we'll, we'll be in ship shape. It's going to be great. It's going to, yeah, but there is, there's a lot of positivity there too. And, and maybe we'll get into that when we, when we turn and talk more uh, about, you know, sort of the exit side, but yeah, it, it's going to be a really hard year. For sure. I, I just yeah. see the, the graphic for this podcast being Chris Newmark with a baby strapped to his chest and I'll have a missing tooth and we'll, <laughs> we'll have the, the MedTech Hangover podcast. So let, let, let's go into <laughs> oh, let's, let's go into exits. Uh, Chris, why don't you uh, take us away? I mean, these are the things, this is what people care about the most. I think, well, they want to raise money, but they also want to be able to sell their company. So Chris, do you want to? Well, help? it's it's kind of wild. I mean, I recall us writing about M and A deals on a mass device a decent amount this year, but it sounds like like uh, they're down. I mean, you know, M and A deals are down, though the ones we got were were some big ones. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's that's sort of the fair assessment right now. And and when you think about what's the role of strategics and how are they thinking about their own, uh, you know, market cap in the public market and the the sectors or the the areas that they're looking to defend that they're that you know are the big money makers for them yeah there's not a lot of focus on expanding out into brand new areas uh for the strategics it's you know let's lock down let's make sure internally we're we're doing what we can because you know eps matters for these public companies right um and so, yeah, you know, when they make an acquisition, it, it needs to be a, a, a smart one, and not not that there are dumb ones, but yeah, you know, when when money's flowing a little bit freer, and you know you're performing, and and it's not a down market, it's a lot easier to to take some bets. Um, so yeah, M and A is down, but when you do look at the deal sizes, you know it's the upfronts are up significantly versus what we've seen, you know, historically somewhere for venture back private, you know, M and A deals you know, 150 to up to 200 million up front. The median was 400 million and the yeah. total deal value was 570 million. So I think that's interesting, but it also, I think there's a layer underneath that where you can point to where that might see sort of some green shoots of some additional uh, upswing in both VC investment as well as exits, because you saw at least a couple of deals. And when I look at like limb flow and I look at relievement, mm-hmm. You know, I think yeah. those two each in 2022 and 2023 each did 
so a decent financing that when you look at the valuation of the previous round were down rounds and that turned into really nice exits for those folks and then and then on on the early stage side with, with laminar where you see a company with not a lot of capital in um early stage you know getting picked up by j and j for a really nice amount as well so yeah if if their investors sitting on the sidelines saying hey i can wait it out you know you start to look at these deals and say you don't want to miss out and so it may be time to jump back in and and the fact that you're seeing you know big players making some acquisitions it also comes back to the revaluing of the of the industry and the fact that now at that valuation, it's a lot easier for the underlying investors and companies to be able to talk about uh, a real exit that ends up being a positive one, maybe not built on a valuation from 2021. So I feel like we're in a pretty good state right now. Do I think we're going to see you know the level of activity that we saw in 2021 in M&A, which I think was like 24 deals uh, on the private side? I don't think we're going to be there. But uh, do I think there are going to be more M&A in 2024 than we saw in 2023? I think absolutely. Uh, I, I do think there's going to be that. And I also think that all the deals that we saw in 2022 on the financing side, the big deals, were all companies on the commercialization pathway. And they were already in revenue. And they raised big rounds to continue to build that revenue stream. So I think 2024 has a lot of those companies that have hit really nice revenue numbers that maybe opportunistically, you know, you can hope, um, you know, and, 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 you know, cross your fingers that you can get a couple of those out, but even if they can't get out, they may be at a, at a, at a, at a pathway where the big acquirers will say that's close to being a creative. We bring them in, put them in on with our sales force and we're, and we're good to go. So you may see some really good M&A on that side. And then 2023 really was more, funding pivotal clinical trials on the uh-huh. late stage. And those, uh, again, especially on PMA, we typically see those companies get picked up before uh, approval and commercialization. And so I think a lot of those companies are going to be in that that period as well in 2024. So I remain a little optimistic that we're going to see, you know, a steady eddy on the investment side. I think M&A is going to pick up. I mean, tell me if I'm thinking about this right. I mean, yeah, I mean, it sounds like there'll be, you know, a decent amount of challenges this year, but you know, in in coming years, I mean, the excitement, I would or interest in healthcare, I would say tech, I'd say would have to could grow again because, I mean, our our populations in the U.S. and around the world are aging. I mean, there's going to be more demand and more interest as we all get older and uh, and you know need more of this uh, more of this med tech and other related technologies. Absolutely. And yeah, the convergence that we didn't even get to talk about, you could talk a whole podcast, I'm sure you guys have on the role of, you know, artificial intelligence and being able to send data to the cloud and using algorithms to help, you know, predict and and, and improve devices, as well as improve patients uh, ability to adhere to, you know, um, being able to leave the hospital and stay uh, home. Um, I think all those things really interesting, all those things collide and, and point to lots of opportunities for sure, in the device sector. How careful do we have to be that, you know, we aren't getting too much hype about AI because it seems like every company that's growing and young that, you know, we're, we're writing about, it seems it seems like they all are just like, oh, and look at our AI component. You know, it just seems like, you know, it's yeah. like, how, how careful should we be about that? I, you know, it, it's a tough question for a non-investor to answer like myself, but I would just say, 
Yeah, you look, you have to look at the underlying fundamental of the the product that you have. And, you know, are you fundamentally changing the way that that, you know, you're delivering care? Well, that's amazing, but there are challenges with that. You know, are you doing something that is a device that makes sense within the organization and the the flow of, you know, the 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 customer experience, the patient experience, yet you're adding things on top of that that make what you're doing even better or improve the outcomes, you know, there, yeah. there you have good opportunity. So I yeah. think the like the brain computer interface and you know things of like that, it's it's amazing opportunities. You know, the challenge is like, how do you get that, you know, into commercialization and what does that look like? And so yeah, there's there's really interesting, but you've certainly seen some, you know, on the surgical robotics side. Yeah, some some yeah. really great success stories there. Yeah, surgical robotics remains hot. I mean, BCIs. I mean, it's that's something we have names like Musk and Bezos and and Gates associated with it. So that, that's a good sign. It looked like Neuralink was one of the more successful uh, fundraising stories for for twenty twenty three. So there is the celebrity factor, I suppose, and the fact that it's a really hot tech. And we'll have Synchron at Device Talks Boston. And Chris, if folks want to clear the wheat from the chafe uh, in AI, of course, they go to the AI Meets LifeSci podcast, oh, yeah. which we just rolled out, hosted by Brian Bunce and Kayleen Brown. So they can check that out. So really uh, cool let's circle back. Uh, we're, we're, we'll, we'll end up here, but we'll go back to the first point. 2024 predicts more pain than, than promise. We kind of started off that this looks like it could be a tough year. You gave a lot of positives, I think, for people to, to hang their hope onto. But what's your assessment for 2024? And to Chris's earlier point about advice, what advice would you give? You talked about a company looking to raise money. What about on the exit yeah. side of things? What, uh, how should how should startups who are kind of at a crossroads, uh, which path should they take? Should they go left or should they go right? Yeah, I think you got to go uh, both. You know, um, yeah, you can't you can't hang your hat on M&A. That's not how Robert Frost had a home. Come on, and I took yeah. I took both paths. Yeah. Yeah, you, you have to have all options open to you. Um, yeah. and I think, you know, on that side, you know, do your research, understand what investors are are active in the different sectors that you're involved in and make sure you're connecting with those folks and tell the story. I would say engage with corporates earlier rather than later. Um, and, you know, be willing to, to look at alternative forms of capital as well. Um, because, you know, what we're seeing is, you know, with the tourist investors within healthcare broadly, kind of moving back, there's less capital out there. And so you need to find ways to get to real value inflection points. And I think that's really the key for early stage companies is to understand at least in this time and place, what are those value inflection points? Mm -hmm. Because that's what you got to hit, you know? And, and, and so, you know, working your way backwards from what that value inflection point is to the amount of capital that you need it. And if you need to think about grants, you need to think about other things you know, to, to help you get there, then so be it. And if it's going to take you a little bit longer, you know, you just have to understand. And, and, and you know, the key is you don't want to raise money and get to something that's an in-between because that puts you in a really tough spot. Great stuff. It's great stuff. All right. Well, we have just scratched, scratched the surface of uh, all the details and data in the report. Once again, we'll, uh, we'll have the, uh, the link on the, the show notes. Of course, you can follow John Norris on LinkedIn. And John, you posted it this morning, I think. It went out on Friday morning. Yesterday morning. Yesterday morning. That's right. That's right. And I shared it as well. So folks can find it there. And uh, all right. That's it, John. Fantastic. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, for sharing your insights. 
Great to have you on. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Chris. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Please follow me on LinkedIn, Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I. I am Editorial Director at Device Talks. Find Chris Newmarker there as well. Chris as in a new marker. He is Executive Editor of Life Sciences at WTWH Media which is the company that owns both Mass Device and Device Talks and many, many other quality B2B media outlets. So uh, find Chris there. Find Managing Editor Kayleen Brown there as well. And uh, I've got a new ask for you. Uh, First, I will remind you to subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network so you don't miss a future episode. I'll also ask you to share this episode. It's chock full of insights. Make sure you tell your friends. uh, Do that on LinkedIn. Tag me, Chris, John Norris, HSBC, Device Talks, Kayleen Brown. Bring us all in the conversation. We want to be part of it. But back to my new ask. My new ask is we're building out our YouTube channel, our Device Talks YouTube channel. We'll be posting quality video content there all year long. So uh, would love it very much if you uh, subscribed. And uh, so just go to YouTube, type in Device Talks. We've got some great uh, podcasts up there already. Kayleen Brown's MedTech Women Talks is up there. We also have some of our AI Meets Life Sci podcast episodes. I'll be uh, posting other videos that I've done, some interviews that I've done on there as well. We're really going to try to build video into our Device Talks portfolio going forward. So uh, don't miss anything. Please, uh, again, go to YouTube, find Device Talks, and uh, subscribe to our channel. We would uh, very much love to have you be part of that. All right. uh, Once again, that's a wrap. Keep an eye out for uh, news about registration for Device Talks Boston. Check out our Device Talks Tuesday building lineup. And uh, tune in next time. We'll have an episode of the Abbott Talks podcast for you next week. Uh, Unsure if we'll have a Device Talks weekly for you or not. I will be uh, at J.P. Morgan for a good part of the week, so it might hard be difficult for me to turn something around. But uh, definitely have a few podcasts coming your way on the Device Talks Podcast Network. All right. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you in San Francisco. 